Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the, ch- the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word. It's a blessing to be here with you this morning. Um, I think it's been a year and a half since I've been here last. And uh, it was January 2020. And boy, we were not ready for what was coming, was it? (laughs) Incredible. Uh, But you're here. We're here together. So it's great to be here witnessing the grace and faithfulness of our Lord towards us. Amen? Let's pray one more time. Father, we are thankful that we get to enjoy fellowship in Christ, the love that flows from the cross into our hearts. Allow us to hear your voice. Allow us to open up our hearts, our ears, our minds, so that when we hear your voice, your call, We should respond to it in faith and trust. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. In the fall of 2013, my family and I were preparing for our second transcontinental move. Uh, We were moving from Vancouver, Canada to Cambridge, England. It was our second because we moved from Brazil to Canada. And uh, all of you who've been through uh, an international move or interstate move or even moving to the next town, you know what a hassle moving is, don't you? Um, Furniture, suitcases, and everything. Our kids were very young at that point. Matt was five, Zoe was just one. And we decided to complicate things a little more. We decided to stop in Brazil for about three months before moving to England. So it's really two moves. And we had lived in uh, Vancouver for a little over four years, so we had accumulated quite a lot. If I'm not mistaken, we we moved with about five or six suitcases full of stuff. I remember vividly that one of those suitcases was full of Lego pieces. A 50-pound suitcase full of Lego pieces. My son was a Lego collector. He's still a Lego, Lego collector. And uh, you'd think that a 50-pound suitcase, suitcase would be enough uh, for Legos, but he also insisted in bringing a Lego-shaped container, uh, Lego head-shaped container, with his favorite Lego pieces so he could play in the airport, and he insisted on bringing that with him on the plane. Now, the thing was not very secure. It was actually very fragile. And sure enough, when we landed at... Um, Sao Paulo Airport, we were trying to pick up our bags and the, whole, the thing collapsed on the floor and there were Lego pieces flying everywhere. 
took us a while to collect all that. But then we, we finally made to our parents' uh, home in, in Brazil. And we had been pastors in that city for about 10 years, so we knew a lot of people. And uh, they liked us. And when we like people in our culture, we give them gifts. And since they knew that we were moving to England, they wanted, to, wanted us to bring with us, well, a big part of Brazil. So they, they gave us coffee. They gave us condensed milk. They gave us, you know, the, our special juice flavors and, and all that. Um, I remember thinking, wow, uh, this is a lot. So our, our five suitcases, our six suitcases, quickly turned into ten suitcases. Ten suitcases full of blessings, I used to think, well, until I had to carry them. And then we got to uh, England, and I could see the dismay in the face of, of the person who was supposed to uh, give us a ride when he saw the ten suitcases. Nobody wants to give a ride to people who carry that much luggage. But then things got even worse, because when we arrived in Cambridge, we found out that our living accommodations, our li the plans for our living had fallen through. We didn't have a place to stay, with 10 suitcases and two kids and a Lego-shaped head. <laughs> and we, it was a busy time, and students were coming from all over the world. All the temporary accommodations, hotels and everything, were full, so we have to keep moving. We, we couldn't book like a seven-day period or a ten-day period. We had, we had to keep moving from one temporary place to another temporary place. So we moved, uh, we lived in four different temporary accommodations in 20 days. And carrying those ten suitcases in that Lego-shaped head. It was uh, certainly one of the most tiresome experiences of my life, going up and down the stairs and trying to find uh, uh, storage to all that. We, we, could only, we only had money to uh, rent a small car, so every time we moved, it was about three or two or three trips to bring all the stuff with us until we finally uh, found a place to live. But every time, bringing the, the luggage, counting the luggage, collecting the Lego, it was a, a nightmare. Life is extremely difficult when you're carrying extra weight, isn't it? Life is extremely difficult when you're carrying extra weight. So that time of our lives gave quite a literal meaning to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's me, O Lord. I am heavy laden, ten suitcases heavy. But of course, these famous words of Jesus were not meant to be taken only literally, as if Jesus uh, was only uh, offering to carry my ten suitcases, although I'm sure he would if I asked. It's other kinds of weight uh, that Jesus has in mind here. Come to me, all of you who are, who are laboring, tired, heavy laden. And I will give you rest. These words of Jesus are famous for a reason. They are famous because they are universally applicable. 
If you're human, you know what it means, what it feels like to be tired. Every human being knows what it feels like to be tired, to, at points to feel overwhelmed, carrying weight around. Physically tired, emotionally tired, spiritually tired. To feel like you have labored heavily and sometimes with very little to show for. Tired of working, tired of studying, tired of wearing a mask, tired of worrying. We carry the marks of our weariness in our pain-ridden bodies. We carry the marks of our weariness in the lines of expressions in our wrinkled, concerned faces, which get more wrinkled with the passing time. We, uh, we carry the marks of our weariness in the tone of sadness in our voice sometimes, even though we try to disguise it so that people won't perceive how sad we really feel, how tired we really are. Life is tiring. We also know what it feels like to carry extra weight, to feel weighed down and oppressed by concerns, by expectations, by unfulfilled dreams, by unsatisfied standards, by incomplete tasks in our to-do lists, feeling labored, feeling heavy laden is a universal human experience. But you see, it hasn't always been like that. Because God, when God created us, He didn't give us luggage, did He? God created us to live light. God created us to depend on Him, to lean on Him. He created a good world and gave us that good world to, cult to cultivate, be fruitful, multiply. Have dominion over creation. That was our job. He made everything good and said, go play with it. Go create. Go make something out of it. I want to paraphrase God in the garden saying, hey, go have fun. God created us not to carry luggage, but to move freely in His free world. We were gardeners. That's what, that was our job description in the garden. We were gardeners, gardeners in God's world. Have you seen a gardener at work? Gardeners don't typically look heavy laden. Actually, gardening is sometimes took, took as, as a hobby by many of us because it's, it's not supposed to be something heavy. But when we decided to become God for ourselves, when we decided to make our own decisions, to decide what is good and evil for ourselves, when we decided to break away from God and take all the weight of life upon us because of sin, life became a burden. What was initially a blessing became a curse. Now working, which was supposed to be fun and creative, now was painful. The thing out of which we derived our sustenance, even having children, was now a labor. And we left the garden because we weren't gardeners anymore. And as soon as we left the garden, the garden we started to build 
cities for ourselves. That's what Cain did, right? Built cities and then more cities and more cities. And we built very complicated lives for ourselves in those cities. And we started to accumulate and accumulate and hold. And we became tired and we have been tired ever since. Tired, labored, heavy laden. When Jesus spoke these words, come to me and I'll give you rest, he spoke these words to a crowd of people who knew exactly what it felt to be labored and heavy laden. A lot of people carrying a lot of extra weight. First, everybody living in that atmosphere of the Roman Empire knew what it felt like to carry the weight of living in an unjust and hostile reality. The burden of an injustice, so to speak. The Roman Empire put a, a heavy burden on people's shoulders. They were oppressed, having to give most of their earnings to the empire even before they get to enjoy any of it. They had to live under the oppression of a people who did not fear God, a people who sacrificed unclean animals in their holy places, a people who mocked their faith. The burden, the constraint of living in a society that didn't accept them, that were against them, that exploited them. Then there was the burden of those who thought they knew what God wanted. Pharisees, rabbis, scribes imposing the burden of religion, imposing on, on people's shoulders requirements, traditions, and rituals that God himself had, not, had never required. Jesus speaks of these people as those who tie up heavy burdens. No, notice the, the language that Jesus uses here in Matthew 23. 23 those who, who, who tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with the finger. The burden of religion, the burden of the extra expectations that human, humans put on top of people so that they will feel burdened. There is also the burden of expectation. When will this end? When will the Messiah come? When will deliverance arrive? Is Jesus really the Messiah? You see, in the, uh, the verses before the, the passage that we read, we, we read of John the Baptist, who sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you really the one? Are you the one who was supposed to come because John the Baptist was in prison? And here is Jesus' precursor himself, the one who's supposed to prepare the way for Jesus Nurturing these doubts about Jesus and saying, is, is this really the answer? Is this really the time? Are you really the one? I'm sure many of us can relate to that feeling. When things don't go well, when life is chaotic, when things don't seem to be working out, we look to God and say, is this really it? Are you really the answer? 
Or is this something else that I should be doing? Is there something else I should be expecting? Even hope can become a burden. The burden of injustice, the burden of religion, the burden of expectation, the burden of sin, the burden of life. Surely we can relate to all those things in our days. We can relate to being unfairly treated, being cheated, feeling oppressed, having our faith mocked, living in a hostile society that don't understand or accept the way and values that we have. We can relate to trying harder and harder to live to a certain standard, sometimes because we can't see the difference between the regulations of man and the genuine, pleasant will of God. Feeling uncertain, doubting, and sometimes feeling guilty because we doubt. Oh, how far we are from the garden. But it's in this context that we hear Jesus' words. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What liberating words. What liberating invitation. Come to me. It's an invitation to freedom and an invitation aimed at all those who are heavy laden. The words that every soul, consciously or unconsciously, longs to hear. And this invitation is exclusively dependent on Jesus. Come to me, he says. Only Jesus can say these words in a meaningful way. Only in his lips these words mean anything. Come to me. You see, this kind of invitation we get every day. Come to this club. Come to this book club. Come to this VIP club. Come to this political party. Come to this university. Come to this school, come to this way of life, come to this motivational speaker seminar, come to this, come to that. And all these invitations come with promises, but only Jesus, only in his lips, the words, come to me, can mean something. And he introduces this invitation with a remarkable statement about his exclusivity. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is introducing himself here and stating the reasons why we can trust him when he says, come to me. He says three things. The Father knows me. I know him. And only I can reveal him. Only I can relieve you of your burden. It all hangs on me, so come to me. Take up my burden. Learn from me. What a remarkable statement. 
The answer doesn't come from Rome. The answer doesn't come from Pharisees or scribes or the religious system. The answer doesn't come from your own efforts or from your own strategies. You can't get to God on your own. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can lift your burden. No one can reveal God to you. Only I can do it, says Jesus. Only I can do it. Philip asks Jesus, show us the Father, Jesus, and that will be enough. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? Of course, I'm paraphrasing here. But he says, what are you talking about? I and the Father are, are one. You come to me, you come to the Father. It's a remarkably exclusive claim. There is no other way. There is no other voice. No other person that can bring you life and relief. No one else knows the way back to the garden. Only Jesus. And that's what we've been We've been seeking. We've been seeking our way back to God. And Jesus is saying, if you want to find him, come to me. You can't get there on your own. You can't find rest for your soul on your own. You can't find rest for your soul on a tropical beach somewhere. You can't find rest for your soul by paying all your debt. We can't find rest for your soul by having children. You can't have, find rest for your soul by accomplishing that career goal. You can't find rest for your soul by doing things. Only he knows the way back to the garden. In fact, if you try to get to the garden yourself, you end up in Babylon. You will build another city. You'll find suitcases and fill them with junk. You'll try to find an alternative route, and you'll only find extra weight to carry. Jesus says, no, it's only in me. Only I can give you rest. We live in a pluralistic world where people don't like only one answer. People don't like the claim that there's only one way because we want to nurture ourselves with the illusion that, we, that there are multiple ways we can choose and that we can get there on our own. People don't like the idea that there's only one way. And a big part of our problems, folks, is that we're, we're expert in finding alternatives to our problems that don't immediately rely on Jesus. And as long as Jesus is only one alternative among many, he will never enjoy his rest. Let me illustrate this with a parable. Not Jesus' parable, this is a parable. They say a man who lived in a two-story house and loved his house, invited Jesus to live with him. He says, Jesus, you're good people. Come live with me. I have, in the second, uh, the second floor, I have a guest room specially made for you. It's a beautiful room, well decorated. There is a lamp. 
in the comfortable chair with a Bible there for you to read. And there's a, there's a comfy bed. You can, if you don't like, you can rearrange. But come live with me. Come live in my guest room. And Jesus says, sure. Actually, if you read the Gospel of Luke, you see that Jesus always says yes to an invitation to go to someone's house. So he goes and he uh, goes to his guest room and stays there. And the man is very pleased with the fact that Jesus is living in his home. At midnight that night, the doorbell rings, and the owner of the house goes and open, opens the door, and there's a robber. The robber punches him in the, in the nose, and he goes in the house, and he wrecks the furniture, he eats from the fridge, he uh, gets all the money, he goes up the stairs, and he uh, takes away one uh, work of art, and then he uh, causes havoc in the bathroom, he comes down and spits on the floor and leaves. And that man gets confused, and he asks Jesus on a family meeting. He says, Jesus, what happened? I bring, I bring you to live in my home, and, and you let the robber come and, and do all these things. And Jesus says, well, I, I was in my guest room. Everything is all right there. Nothing happened there. And he says, oh, I get it. All right. The second floor is yours. I'll give you half of my life, half of my house. Do whatever you want there. You can redecorate. You have to kind of tidy up because the robber made a mess, but it's yours. Jesus says, okay, fair enough. Midnight that night, doorbell rings, and the robber comes again, punches the guy in the nose again, and comes in and takes the food off the fridge and ruins the sofa and he kind of threatens to go up the stairs, decide not to come, to go, spits on the floor, go out. This man gets furious. He calls Jesus and says, listen, I gave you half my life. How can you let this happen to our house? And Jesus says, well, I, I was on my floor. Nothing happened there. Is everything all right? And finally, the man understands and says, Okay, Jesus, here's the key to your house. Everything is yours. You have a claim on everything that is mine. Midnight that night, the doorbell rings, and the new owner of the house answers it. The robber looks at Jesus, and he says, Sorry, wrong house. <laughs> Either Jesus has a claim on the totality of our lives or he doesn't have a claim at all. Either he owns the totality of our lives or he doesn't own it at all. So he says, come to me. Don't just give me a space. Don't just assign Jesus a space in your life. Don't just assign Jesus a day in your life. Don't just give him Sunday morning. Give him all. Come. Come, he says, all you who are labored and heavy laden, I will give you rest. This is an invitation of discipleship. Come, says Jesus. When Jesus says, come and we respond, we become his disciples. Now, in the crowd where Jesus was uh, 
to, to whom Jesus was speaking these words, the disciples were there. And the disciples knew very well this sort of invitation. When Jesus says, come, you go. Jesus was known for entering the lives of individuals while they were carrying on their business, like fishing on the sea or collecting taxes on a booth. And Jesus would come and look at them and say, come, follow me. And they did. And they would ab abandon their boats, their fish, their nets, their booth. Sometimes they would abandon their entire, entire livelihood and they would go. I'm watching this series called The Chosen. I don't know how many of you uh, know about it, but I really recommend it. It's a kind of the, the gospels told from the perspective of the disciples. And you really get the sense of how difficult this was to him, for, for them. They were not trained as students of rabbis. They were not uh, familiar with that life. They were familiar with fishing and, and tech, being tax collectors. And, but Jesus says, come. And there is a magnetism to his words. There is something to him. Now, that couldn't have been easy to, to go. Because to go or to come necessarily means to leave. You cannot come if you don't leave. And every time you say yes to Jesus, you are leaving something behind. You are breaking with some allegiances. But you see, that's part of the mystery. Because when you leave something behind to follow Jesus, you're already getting rid of stuff. The very act of following Jesus reorient our priorities. The problem sometimes is that we begin our Christian life with the absolute sense that Jesus is enough, but then we, we pick a suitcase along the way, or two, or ten. I need Jesus, but I also need this. I need Jesus, but I also need that, and also that. And trust me, following Jesus is extremely difficult when you're carrying that much extra weight. No, come, says Jesus. Come to me. Just come. Jesus travels light. But how can I come? I don't know the Bible. How can I come? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not holy enough. And Jesus' question is, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Because that's your only qualification. All you need to follow Jesus is need itself. All you need to follow Jesus is need itself. You just need to need Him. All you need to find rest is to be tired. And you see, this is a word that fits very well evangelistic sermons, we think sometimes of these words as something that Jesus would say to the person who never met with him. How, how can, uh, what can, this, can these words do uh, to me 10 years, 20 years serving the Lord? Well, we tend to carry and to accumulate. We start well, but then we forget that He is enough. But if you're weary, if you're tired, 
He is still saying the same thing to you today as he did when he first called you, when he first called you. Come to me. And the invitation is to take up his burden. Now, the word here for the heavy laden is, is burden. It's a very graphic word in, in Greek. It, 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 the image is of someone carrying a heavy load. I see uh, the interesting thing here is that Jesus says, uh, Come to me, all you who are burdened, and I'll give you rest. But then, surprisingly, he doesn't say, Well, get rid of your burden. He says, No, take mine. <laughs> take my yoke upon you. Take my burden upon you. Now, the yoke was this uh, structure that you put around someone's neck to make it easier to carry a load. You could put it uh, on animals, normally in pairs, so they would share the load. But you also could put it on people, especially slaves, to make it easier for them to carry a heavy load uh, across long distances. Now, the yoke, the structure around your neck is limiting. It doesn't allow you to move too much. It doesn't allow you to do too much. You just have to, the, you, the, the yoke is a constraint that allows you to carry a load that would be otherwise unbearable to carry. So the yoke is not very good. But if you have to carry a burden, you want to use a yoke. But it's still a burden. It's still constricting. So it feels surprising that right after saying, I will give you rest, Jesus, does, Jesus says, take my yoke. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus acknowledges that burden is part of life. He himself never promised the absence of problems. He says, in this world you have trouble, but fear not, I conquered the world. What he asks us to do is to stop carrying our own burden, our own load on our own strength. Stop trying to do things on your own or finding your own solutions before coming to him. When we try to alleviate our own burden, we buy more suitcases. That's what we do. When we have to carry more, we just find more suitcases to fill Perhaps if I take another job, perhaps if I do one more MBA, perhaps if I meet one more person, go to one more meeting, if I take one more loan, if I follow these rules to the letter, if I pray more, if I give more money to the church, if I do this, if I do that. Now, some of these things that I mentioned are clearly wrong-headed, but some are not bad in themselves. But the thing is, anything we do on our own strength results in extra weight. But Jesus' burden is light. He says that, but how can it be? He says, take up my burden, my yoke. You know, there's only one, uh, not only one, but there's, only, there's one memorable passage in the Gospels where Jesus says, take up. You know what it is? When he says, the one who wants to come and follow me should deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. If we read the Gospels, we know that Jesus' burden is the cross. Jesus' burden is not light at all, at least not in my book. 
And he says to everyone who wants to follow him, if anyone wants to follow, follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. How can that be light? Well, the answer is that this is a burden that he has already carried for us. His burden is not light because it's light by nature. His burden is light for us because he has carried it for us. We don't carry the cross to pay for our sins because that heavy load that no one can bear was upon the shoulders of the Son of God. But we still carry the cross. But we don't carry the cross to pay for our sins. We carry the cross to be like Him. We carry the cross to be like Him. And the difference is, when you carry the cross, there is life in it. In your burden, in my burden, in the weight that I invent for myself, in the load that I produce for myself, there is death, there is pain. But the burden that He offers me, the cross that He gives me to carry, there is life in it. So much so that the one who wants to find his life will lose it, but the one who loses his life for my sake and the sake of my gospel will find it. There is life in the cross. There is life in living like Him. So we put on his yoke, a yoke that is still a yoke. It's constricting. It limits my movements. It directs me on a path. It makes me walk in a certain way. But there is life in it. For whoever seeks to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There is life in it. And he's training us. Is more important than simply being relieved of the burden to live a happy life is being transformed to be like Him. And that's why He says, learn from me. We take up His yoke not simply to be relieved. We take up His load to be like Him. You see, my yoke, my burden, my weight makes me resentful, makes me angry, makes me frustrated, makes me selfish. But Jesus says, learn from me. Take, it, take up my burden and you'll be gentle and humble and kind in heart. Come to me, says Jesus. Take my burden. Learn from me. What does that look like? I can't explain to you exactly what that looks like because the journey of a disciple is an individual journey. I can't give you a recipe of one or two or three things you should do But I know that the voice of our Master is still echoing 
in our lives, in our context, saying, come to me. And there's an experience of giving yourself to him every day that allows you to know him. Are you tired? It's been a difficult year, very difficult year. Perhaps you had to battle the virus yourself. Perhaps you had to see other people battling the virus, perhaps losing their lives to it. It's scary. I'm from Brazil and things there are out of control. And it's very scary to learn of people you know. Now it's not just numbers, it's people you know battling for their lives, gasping for air, but no place in ICUs. But then there is, even if you haven't experienced that, there is just the, the load that this time has brought upon us of not seeing each, other, each other's faces, of not touching one another. I'm Brazilian. I hug. I miss hugging people. I hug my wife way more nowadays than <laughs> my, my kids. You know that feeling that sometimes you find yourself just looking out the window and feeling that sadness, not knowing exactly why you're sad. Not to mention the load that we carry for other reasons. Betrayal. Just a feeling of disappointment. If you know what it feels like to be tired, Jesus is saying, come. Will you come? Will you take up his burden? Will you learn from him? Close your eyes with me. Name your burden in your mind. Name your load. And tell Jesus what your load is. Tell him you're tired. And hear the voice of the one who says, come to me and I will give you rest. If you have those burdens, those concerns, those weights that you're carrying around, I just invite you to just stretch your hands in front of you as a sign of someone who's giving something to God and receiving something from Him. Father, this is your people. People you created to live in a garden. 
people for whom you were preparing a city with a garden and center. People for whom you sent your son to pay for their sins, but also to carry their load. Father, as your people, we come to you and we give to you what burdens us. And we pray, please, switch. We give you what is ours. You give us what is yours. And may we find rest. In Jesus' name, amen.